all I need to know is this. Are you at least going to do an ape joke with the naming of the block? Oh, not – no. I was going to go a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were two running themes in this. Mm-hmm. Or I say running themes. Basically two th- plots that they kept going back to. Yes. There's apes and fatties. Yes. Because there's also like nuclear war. Four, because there's also the Satan. There's a lot of Satan in this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true too. Yeah. But no, I was like apes. Because it, it's weird how much they go back to apes, isn't it? It is, but I also, but it also weirdly makes sense to me, at least up until the final okay, ape strip. I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to you explaining why it makes sense, because I, I had this moment where I was like, apes, huh? Yeah, uh, right? <laughs> well, sure, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Greetings, whatnots. Welcome to the 10th episode of Drock, the series in which myself, Graham McMillan, and my esteemed host... Yes, I, Jeff Lester, and Graham McMillan, we are here to, of course, this is our monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. Uh, We're coming to you live from Joseph Barbera Block to discuss (laughs) Judge Dredd, The Restricted Files, Volume 1. Well played, Jeff. Thank well, you. well played indeed. Restricted Files Volume 1. We're reading this volume now because chronologically the last story here basically is the same era as Complete Case Files Volume 9, which we did last time. Mm-hmm. However, Jeff, we were building up some momentum there and yes. then we read this. Oof. And yeah. Oof, indeed. Yeah. Restricted Files, we should explain, is a collection of the stories from the annuals and the specials that don't fit in the regular progs. And Volume 1 goes from 1977 through 1984. Uh, 85, so, actually, it says. It, it's 84 because Annual 85 was published in 84. <laughs> British annuals were always Great. published the year before they're actually named. Wow. Yeah, it's a really weird thing. Huh. Um, the the name is always the year after it's published. Oh, interesting. Good to know. But nonetheless, like that's seven years worth of material. Yeah. And it's seven years of from Dread's creation to as I said, where we were in volume nine, where Dread is fairly, you know, uh, fairly concrete. You mm-hmm. know what you know what a Dread story is, you know what Dread is, you know who Dread is. Yeah. But that's clearly not true at the start. And this is variable is being polite. Yes. Maybe more realistic is to say it is at best missable, at worst just dire. Right. Right. Um what's 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 that term, Graham? There's like a term, right? It's kind of a dog's lunch, a dog's, dog's breakfast? A dog's breakfast. Yeah, it's a dog's breakfast of of dread stories, right? What a, what a good British isn't to go from. Don't forget dog's breakfast is bad. Dog's bollocks is good. You might think those are reverse. <laughs> Somehow that's what it is. It makes no sense to me, but yeah, and it is a dog's breakfast. There is, yeah, there's some wacky, wacky shit here. Jeff, I have a question to ask. Mm-hmm. Because so many of these stories are from the annuals, and because annuals are printed in color, or mm-hmm. a significant proportion of the annual is printed in color, and specifically the dread strips, mm-hmm. this book felt to me like, in terms of writing, utterly easily to ignore like completely throw away but artwork like mm-hmm. you get mm-hmm. mcmahon in color yes. you get 
Boland in color from 81. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, it's amazing. You get Ian Gibson doing his own colors. Yes. And the artwork's just staggeringly good. Completely. Like, man doing his own colors mm-hmm. is amazing. No, it's it's true. There's, there's a... Like you said, the stories are pretty ignorable, perhaps understandably. Uh, for those of us who, uh, those whatnots out there who followed Graham and I uh, through the Baxter building, we would inevitably get so far into the FF continuity and we would sort of have to stop and jump into and do the annuals every so often. And it's funny how much dread being. Uh, such a uniquely such a such a British strip with an American influence. It's sort of funny seeing like reading the annuals and being like, oh yeah, these stories are kind of disposable too. Although although there's a lot to be said, like because you had asked me uh, specifically a question about um, one of the reoccurring motifs in in this in this book, and I think. To to the extent that the writers were trying to do anything, quote unquote, special with the Dread stories, some of them seemed like they were designed to be more visually big, you know, or, or just have some extra element of visual appeal. Not always, though, but there's a I think the best stretch in the center has something where it like you said, Mike McMahon is doing beautiful work in color or there's some shots with Ian Gibson or there's a couple there. There's at least one story, if not two, where it's I don't know if it's written this way, but the artist took it and did Every page after the splash is double page spread. Yes, there's two stories. There's two different stories where that happens. Exactly. One is a McMahon story and one is a Gibson story. Yeah, and they both and, look and, great. Yeah, they do. They really do. It, it's it's really interesting to see that the annual format. I mean, I'm guessing the artists are being paid extra because they're doing full color artwork, mm-hmm. but they are such a visual feast. And and I was going to say compared with the weeklies, but let's face it, they aren't the weeklies. You know, has also just been shockingly good. Yes, it, you know, it 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 absolutely has. But maybe because, um, I, honestly, I think unless unless I'm mistaken, because there's there's one strip that feels like it's uh, like it's pulled right from like the newspaper strip or something. Oh, and it's Brett Ewan's. There's no Ron Smith in this at all, is there? No, no, there's not. And. And, that, and everything's better because well, you know, and it's a shame because I do I I love Ron Smith on Dread at least you know those first couple of yeah years, the early ones you yeah. know and he can still kind of put some oomph into it but that last volume that we read like the it it did feel like um, if nothing else uh, Smith whether being under the gears for the deadline or whatever was happening the the work just didn't seem as um expressive and as adventurous as some of this stuff does in the annual you know and yeah it's true there there's some it's funny because the first story and this is from a summer special in 77 mm-hmm. which is is literally the year 2080 starts so it's months after red spirit for the first time right and I don't know if you agree here or not, and I suspect you don't because I suspect your version of the first good story in this volume and the first good story for me in this volume are different. Mm. But I wouldn't say it actually gets 
good until like 1980. Mm. You're 12 stories in for mm-hmm. me right. before you get first good story. Yeah. And other stories have things to enjoy about them. But in terms of like actually good, you are relatively far in. And honestly, for me, it doesn't get good until Wagner gets involved. Mm. And Wagner is absent for the first like third of this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a problem. Like the the like Alan Grant does stuff in this book for Wagner does. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's funny because Grant stuff is more quote unquote dreadish. Yes, but even the early Grant stuff, it's still wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's still bits where you're like, mm, no, though. Right. Like, that's still, like, a bit too straightforward. That's it, still a bit too, you know, heroic, for want of a better way of putting it. You know, it's funny that you mention that, because there is the – one of the stories that I sort of – that I had a lot of – it might – I don't know if it's the first good story, but the story that I had a lot of appreciation for is – the billion credit caper, uh, which is by Grant with art by Brett Ewens. And yeah. it feels, I, I think I'm, I don't know why, but because every page has that, um, sort of like high drama title credit lead thing that I sort of assumed that it was like a newspaper reprint or something. I, you know, or, or else had been written as a newspaper thing because every what's what I thought was fun about it was like every page has like it's ridiculously continuity thick comparatively like you've got like it's like oh there's Walter the robot there is um his uh informant Max Normal there's you know Ape Ugino you know Ugino and and you know, and a crazy lottery scheme. And so it just kind of felt like um, it was really easy for me to imagine it being like, oh, this is kind of like an intro, an intro to Judge Dread strip for, for someone at the time. And I liked it, but at the end of it, and this is weird how many annual stories actually end up with Dread destroying evidence to the criminal's, you know, uh, detriment. Like the the billion credit caper, um, Don uh, Don Ape Don Uggy uh, Uggino actually wins the lottery, and um, and Judge Dredd right. actually using a lighter. Yes, <laughs> yeah, can't be paid without a ticket, and yours just got burned. I was like, that's kind of not cool. And there's two or three other points where Dread like openly destroys evidence or destroys something that would more or less help the criminal. And I'm kind of like, that's not like I'm, I was shocked by how much I'm like, dread would never, you know? Yeah. It's funny. There's so much in the early, like again, until Wagner gets involved. And to be fair, it's not just like, you know, well, Wagner gets dread, right. And no one else does. Right. Wagner also basically shows up in this book for the first time, like in 1980, when people know what dread is. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the characters become solidified a bit by that point. Mm -hmm. But, like, the first, like, before Wagner shows up, you get a lot of stories that are just very uh, out of character. And and then very, you're right, they're trying to be an introduction to Dread because I feel like I should give a little bit of background to the annuals. Please do. The annuals, uh, especially, like, in the late 70s, were were the majority of these starts. And honestly, like, through the mid-80s, the late 80s, Mm -hmm. annuals were published kind of 
not necessarily an introduction to the comic for people, but annuals were Christmas gifts. Mm-hmm. Right. They were published for the holiday season, mm-hmm. and they were hardcover releases that mix new material and reprint material. Because mm-hmm. they weren't, like, the, the, I want to say it got until, like, maybe 91 or 92 before 2000 AD had an annual that was all new material. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, it wasn't called an annual at that point. They changed the format and called it a yearbook. Mm. Um, but the 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 annuals were basically simultaneously, you know, let's just have new products out there. Mm-hmm. And let's have something that will be an introduction for new readers because their parents are going to get it for them. Their grandparents are going to get it for them. Right. Like, this is a stocking stuffer, for mm-hmm. want of a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you do get these things which are, like... Kind of like Dread 101 stories. Mm-hmm. That's true all the way through it. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's no continuity heavy story in any of these. Mm-hmm. The closest you get is there's a couple of references to the Apocalypse War. Yes. Um, but that's that's about it. And even then, the references to the Apocalypse War are basically just that. Mm-hmm. Since the Apocalypse War, this happens, and then it moves on. Right. So you do get a lot of, like, you know, for people who are unfamiliar with Dread, this will work. Mm-hmm. For people who aren't familiar with Dread, here's a primer of some facet of Dread. Right. And it can be, future crime is crazy. Or, like, even the there's a story where Dread, uh, it, hilariously, it Dread against the devil. And the devil's like, Dread, we just want you to sin. Which was utterly hilarious to me. Because I was like, there's no fucking way Dread has not sinned yes. for this point. Exactly. Like, he's murdered people. Like, he's lied. Like, like. You know, this is this is insane. Um, but nonetheless, my point being, right? You get these things, and then, but the the you know the facet of dread that, that that's explaining that that's promoting is like dread is so tough he can defeat the devil. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you, they're all like you know, here's all you need to know about dread, and all you need to know about dread is you know he's tough. All you need to know about dread is he is the law. All you need to know about dread is there's wacky shit happening in Mega City One. Yes, yeah, yeah. But for the first, like until Wagner shows up, mm-hmm. all of them are off model. Mm-hmm. Very and, much. Like, so. All of them are off model at a point where, like, even the strip in the weekly isn't off model. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, you know, in- like, by volume two of the complete case files, which is the second year of the comics publication, yeah, you basically have dread, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But in this, you have like dreads going on vacation to Super Florida. Yes. Yeah. Mega Miami. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. What the like? What the fuck? It's kind of amazing. Yeah. And that that, that Mega Miami story is shocking. <laughs> I mean, by the time they started calling the robots Rustabacks. The robot immigrants were Oh, Rust God, Bags. I forgot that was in that story. Yes, that I, was honestly, so was long. Like, I took so I, I, of I, that. Like, that like, story, even before you've got then, you yeah. have the, the, like, stereotypical Spanish accent. Yes. Right? For, mm-hmm. for, the, for the robot that's trying to seduce Walter. Yeah. And then they're like, and here's the immigrants. We call them Rustbacks. And I genuinely was like, no. Yes. Even right. in 1979, yeah. someone knew that was a mistake. That, that was not good. That was like, definitely. They, there's no way that that was. That no one thought that wasn't a problem. That's shocking. Yeah. You know. And then even after that, one of the immigrant robots, again, immigrant robots, everyone who arrive on the coast of of Florida is speaking. I don't know if you noticed this. Is doing Manuel from Faulty Towers dialogue. Oh really? Yes. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
shocking. Yeah. I I I really yeah, I I genuinely was like what the living fuck was this? But no, you so you're getting that which is I mean, it's on topic for the regular 2000 AD dread because it's racist as shit. <laughs> Right, but yeah. uh, in other ways, like it's off model, and you don't get on model until Wagner shows up in like 1980. Mm-hmm. The annual for 1981 is when that, like, you get your first one where you're like, "Oh, that's recognizably dread." Uh, so, which one is that? For me, it's Ping Pong Wizard. Ah, interesting. Ping Pong Wizard is the first one that works for me. Mm. I I feel that it's certainly close. It's certainly close in that sense. I I see like little splashes and bits and pieces, um, you know, for whatever reason, it feels like uh, the the story with with Dread trying to take that dude's heart. That feels very classic. The compulsory oh, yeah, that's, story. That, yeah, that's after Ping Pong. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's just quibbling there in that sense. There's but there's. One or two pieces before that seemed to always, again, I'm never sure how much to attribute. Like, I thought the story that's illustrated by Steve Dillon with the giant Ferg, you know, the greatest picture ever told, greatest story ever told thing where it's like the crazed director making the movie. And it's, you know, that struck me as pretty on model. But but on the other hand, it was, you know, sort of like, who cares? I guess you know. You know I mean that again. It's that kind of like it was fun because it was Steve Dillon art and big, but yeah, you know, I what's hard is how much part of me was um, jumping ahead to the you know the classic like is this a good first Judge Dread book? A good Dread book to give a first time reader to see if they like Dread, and the answer disappointingly is. I think no, which is weird because in a way, part of me is like you could give it to someone and whatever story they like the most, I feel like you could then point them to the right volume of Dread to start with, you know, because it, it, yeah, a lot of it, particularly by the time you get to the end, some of them really do just feel like uh, there's, there's one or two stories that feel like Judge Dread stories just longer. I guess, you know, because because they don't wrap up in seven pages. They usually go like some of these are like 10 or 12 or something, right? Yeah. No, some of the stories, some of the stories are longer and not not always to their benefit. No. Uh, agreed. You know, it, which is interesting because usually I, you and I have talked about how much we admire Wagner and Grant's concision. And it's it's fascinating that the longer they get, it's kind of like. I mean, every once in a while, the, it's good because the artist has sort of more pages to be to have kind of a visual feast or whatever. But the stories themselves are not great. You know, a lot of them are kind of like, I, eh, I, you know, yes. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that e- even the best stories here mm-hmm. uh, come up to the level of like they'd be pretty good stories in the weekly. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything close to the best we've seen in the weekly in this volume at all. Right. There there are the, the two stories that I absolutely love mm-hmm. are the compulsory purchase one, mm-hmm. uh, which is for, for people who haven't read the book, literally the justice department needs to keep a witness alive. And so they 
or the issue a compulsory purchase order for Citizens' Hearts. Yeah. Uh, which is great and so wonderfully dystopian. Like, mm-hmm. so, so grim. And strangely enough, the second one I think is the best is The Big Bang Theory, which, again, is just such a grim story. Someone has planted nuclear bombs in city blocks. Yes. And the, the judges try to find them and fail. Mm-hmm. Or that's not true. They find them, but they can't stop one from going off. Right. They find two out of the three. And so the yeah. third one goes off in time. And yeah, it's sort of I, – I totally agree with you. That that one was also strong, I think, because it helped that it was just such a, a – I don't know. You know, the thing that's also weird is every one of these stories kind of did have, for me, a real – much more of a oh I've seen this already flavor than than when you're reading that's, them in the case files, right? That's funny because I actually the one of my notes is these are the greatest hits mm-hmm. of, of the weekly because you do you have a blog horse story, right? You know we we joked that one of the things about this book is um, there's a lot of ape stories, mm-hmm. but that's again spinning off of something we've already seen. Mm-hmm. Like there is an incredible amount of repetition in in theme or in concept if not literally just rep- repeating a story yeah from weekly right um and the difference is the art looks better because it's in color yes you know yeah but again in the, the weekly you have the shock of the new mm-hmm. and also in the weekly you have so many stories in such a coherent time frame right that, that their ebb and flow works better yeah. There is no ebb and flow in this book because they are literally like, here's two stories that appeared in one annual. Here's the followed by story that appeared six months later in a special issue, followed by two more stories that appeared six months after that in an annual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and the jumps are so much more obvious, but all of the stories, because they're for quote unquote special issues, feel like they're ambitious in a way that you want the breather. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. So it makes sense that in a way compulsory purchase really to me is beautiful art, but it is also the story – it's the story that I would most expect to A, be seen – to read in a regular case files, you know, in the regular weekly and also be like, oh, that's a pretty good story. Like, I mean, it's just a good little one-off, but like, uh, you know, the story that follows it the fear that made Milwaukee famous um, kind of feels like, you know, it's a cursed earth, you know, what would have been a three part prog in the regular jammed into, you know, a, a super arguably too tight, um, you know, one part story. That one, interestingly enough, feels like a three parker. Like I feel like you can feel the three ar- the yes, three acts the art, in that. the acts in it exactly exactly so so which I guess helps but in a way part of me is like it's it's what all killer no filler but at the same time it also feels but it's a not. little too like it's all yeah. intended killer yeah it it somehow feels like filler exactly absolutely exactly so really very. Very odd. Um, but yeah, I think, you you know, the Boland strip that pops up in here is an utterly disposable story if it wasn't for the fact that, you know. It's in color. Yeah, it's Boland in color, but it's also 
big weird animals you know what i mean like it couldn't everything about just the same way that the apes pop up in here has that kind of like oh what you know what do kids like kids like dinosaurs and apes you know and i feel like you know there's a dinosaur story and there's an ape story you know and then but what's weird is how much the rest of this does feel like kind of you know um Junior's first collection of Judge Dredd tropes. You know, there's fatty stories. There's illegal sports gambling there, stories. Yes. There's, there's a lot of fatter, fatty stories. There's illegal, like, sugar smuggling stories, which, and you're right, like, describing this as baby's first dread, I think is a really good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it does feel like dumbed down dread or, mm-hmm. or not even, that's not true. Dread that is too broad. Yeah. Like right. one of the things that I think neither of us really dig in the regular case files is when dread goes broad. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes they can be fun palate cleansers. Right. But when dread is trying to be too cutesy, when it lacks the nuance, if that's the right word, of the of the what Wagner and Grant are capable of. Mm-hmm. Because I think the Wagner and Grant it, are doing relatively nuanced work in Dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and then every now and again they have like a fatty strip, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Or for that matter, Otto Sump. And they're like, it's a surprise there's no Otto Sump story in this. Yeah, that is shocking. You're right. Um, but, you know, you, you get, they do that and it's like, well, this is like some fun jokes, mm-hmm. but... Put it this way, I think there's a reason that my favorite stories from this this Restrictor Files are the two downers. Mm. Well, you know, actually, I also very much like uh, the other downer story happening on Line 9, which is, which is literally about a mass murderer who is, a, you know, taking calls from a radio show because he's like a guest while he's gunning people down. And it, like... And honestly, I do think that the ape story has a hell of a downer ending. Like you see the apes come back two or three times in this. Yeah, there's yeah, there's three ape stories, but you're right. The last one is it is like very surprisingly grim. Yeah, considering everything else you've seen, mm-hmm. because you know you get the first. It's funny. So you get the there's three ape stories, and the first ape story is. It's apes who are hyper intelligent and think they're gangsters. Yes. And then the second one is kind of a disconnected Planet of the Apes riff. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And then the third one is the Return of the Apes from the first story, who themselves had appeared in the regular weekly. Yes. But they have been in the Cursed Earth and they have basically become apes. Uh, and Dread. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I don't think that it's 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 cursed. It's not the cursed earth. Oh, is it's, it post apocalypse? Post apocalypse war. Yeah. yeah. So sector three hundred one is like this is basically rubble after the apocalypse war, and the apes who lived in the the slums there have turned into basically vampire apes. Yeah. But but Dredge response is just they're not intelligent anymore. I'll just slaughter them. Yes. Yeah. They've lost all. Um, sense of civilization, it's okay to absolutely wipe them out. You, and which is, uh, which is chilling. I mean, in a way, I think the thing that's weird about it is part of me it, thinks that 
you know, we had talked about in previous talks with the Apocalypse War about how Wagner and Grant were kind of like, they felt that they needed to kind of trim back Mega City One, which didn't really make much sense to me. Like, I was kind of like, because they rapidly turned around and just made it, you know, they just kept doing whatever the hell they were going to do. Yeah, made but, it big again, yeah. Yeah, but this story in particular made made me feel like, oh, this is this is kind of how they get away from some of the goofy stuff that they did earlier that they don't want to return to. Like, like there's something almost like really definitively shutting the chapter on the apes is devolving them, you know, turning them into semi vampires and then slaughtering them all and literally making a point to turn, you know, the semi-vampiric Don Aguino, who's popped up several times as, you know, a sort of comedic nemesis for Dread, you see him get shot like four times in the chest by Dread, like on panel. Like, it's just such a, it's a real downer, but it's also very much them being like, okay, well, these guys are not coming back, you know? And, and I, of course, I, me, not having read a lot of Dread, I know that those characters do pop up in some other stories that I don't know if, like, you know, Al Ewing uses them in, in Judge Dread versus Mars Attacks, for example, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a great comedic benefit. But you just, I, it's, it's, so all of, like you said, all of my favorite stories here are pretty damn grim, but that was the one where it really felt like I'm not quite sure. Like the first couple were in the annual. And like I said, it was very much like, yeah, kids, they like the apes. And then as this collection goes on, that story really felt like, you know what? Fuck the apes and fuck the kids. And then at that point, <laughs> it's it's pretty much just dread. You say that, but also no. Yeah, but also no. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you like the book ends with another fatty story. Well, yeah, but Wagner and Grant, they love the fatties. That's the they thing. Do love, they do love the fatties. Yeah. But, and actually, even that fatty, the last fatty story has a wonderfully grim part in it. It's actually got, like a, a small grim part and then a wonderfully grim part. Mm-hmm. The small one is the part where they say, because of the food shortages, the fatties are basically allowed to keep being fatties in competitive feeding contests, but they can't eat food. Yes. So they're eating RVs. Oh, my Which God. is great. Yeah. But the really grim part is there's an assassin hiding in the RV. And instead of them being upset there's an assassin there, they argue over whether or not because he's in an RV he has to be eaten. They have to be eaten. And they keep trying to make the case for it. And Dredd's like, no, no, no. Dredd doesn't say no because he's against cannibalism. He's just like, no, I'm arresting him. Yes, exactly. No, 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 it absolutely doesn't have, he doesn't have any sort of, in the eat of the night, yeah. No, I would, I would say that that all of stuff, even the the drug, uh, dread beating up Satan story, is, um, you know, it's an annual story, it's an intro to dread story, but it's also them like they're they're doing it again. It's one of those stories where they're doing it. The entire thing's being done in song or. Or rhyming verse, or, yeah, anyway. yes, some, something close to to yeah. uh, poetry or, or song. Yeah. yeah, it's strange. There's there's um, there are like three supernatural, for want of a better way of putting them, stories. Yeah, in in 
these in this volume that come from the annuals and one of them is explicitly about halloween Mm -hmm. and it's very strange to me because these annuals were issued i want to say middle of to the end of november Mm -hmm. so it's really hard to see like a halloween themed story and something that would be coming out just after halloween like it's it's an odd like i don't know if that was a misfire or if honestly wagon grant just didn't give a shit right but the other thing that's strange about that is the so Iskera draws all of the horror stories. Mm-hmm. Iskera draws a lot of these stories actually, and I love his artwork. I love his watercolors for yes. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it just looks great. But the thing that's strange about the Iskera horror stories, and I'm using horror really loosely, mm-hmm. is they all feel like Strontium Dog stories to me. Mm. And I don't think you've read Strontium Dog or not read enough Strontium Dog to really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But do you at least feel that they felt slightly off-model Dread stories? Uh, I did think so. I mean, maybe part of it was the color, but between Escara and and uh, McMahon's work in color here, I had such a strong, um, and again, not, not a particularly well-read Dread guy or 2000 AD guy, I was like, oh, shit, this... This is where Simon Bisley comes from, you know, like Bis- oh, really? I, I don't see Bisley in here at all, but please explain. I, I just I, I there was something in Escara and McMahon's stuff. And again, maybe it's just because Bisley's stuff was some of the first maybe it was some of the first dread stuff that I saw in on glassy, like a glossy color or something. Mm. But the both the McMahon's weird exaggerations you know they 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 both exaggerate things in different ways like i don't know how to describe it for me it's like when mcmahon goes big it looks like what bisley's going to take as his ground zero sort of and then sure i can see that you know and then the there's something about the escara work that also strikes me as having a real um Bisley influence in terms of the the design or the color design or something like it's I don't know it's just I was looking at him and I just kept going like no this really does remind me and and some of it is just you know there's that Judge Dread Behold the Beast story which is uh you know such a Judge Dread's greatest hits story because it is it's a classic dc annual it's you know oh here's dread and he's facing all of his old enemies you know or is he but that story looks like it should totally be you know like if you had to pick bisley to redraw one story pick that one because it's all sort of weird you know death metal imagery and the the grotesquerie of the monster uh, of of behemoth the beast like it all just struck me as like yeah this is these are again these sorts of levels of lurid exaggeration that that you know again for me i just had this weird like oh this this makes me think of bisley but again i'm really happy to be a proven wrong and as you point out like you've read a lot more strontium dog than than i have so it, it's there's a strontium dog uh run relatively early on mm-hmm. it might be in the first of the collections where johnny wolf essentially go to hell mm. and 
in the first of the supernatural stories in this where dread i mean here it's an alien who is like psychically attacking him and he goes to like he's involved in a court case where cal is the judge and he faces the characters who he has killed mm-hmm. uh, which is like a really nice concept it's a, mm-hmm. it's a genuinely fun concept and again as an introduction to dread it actually works quite well yes but that story and the story where dread goes up against the devil mm-hmm. feel very drawn from that strontium dog story interesting uh and the tone arguably works better in strontium dog Mm. because it's looser because there's something when you get really supernatural and dread it doesn't really fit for me interesting you know that's that's maybe weird coming from the series as like judge death yeah i was just gonna say you know uh-huh is he was like a monster and there's Sure, there's a scientific explanation. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's come from an alien planet, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, but it is. Like, to all intents and purposes, he's a ghost. He's a ghost that possesses people. Right. You know? The more supernatural you go with dreads, like, I just get weirdly uneasy. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, uh, no. Like, the edges of dread shouldn't be this dodgy. They shouldn't be this, like, moldy. Right. But, but, but for Shondi Book, sure. Like, Strontium Dog, for me, <laughs> a much looser... Oh, it's a much looser series in general. Mm. Like, Strontium Dog basically is a... It's a bounty hunter. He does whatever the fuck he wants. Right. You know, and that could be anything. Like, you know, and so one... He goes back and, like, Hitler doesn't kill himself. They literally just kidnap him to the future to stand trial for his crimes. Wow. Or he... You know, oh, it's great. Because uh, that one's really fun because it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they have Hitler and they just keep stuffing his mouth full of socks... So he can't talk. Wow. And they're like, no, his name is like Schinkelgruber. <laughs> like, we're not going to call him Hitler. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's amazingly disrespectful in the best way. Like, it's disrespectful of Hitler. Right. right. <laughs> you know, which is which what is you would great. want. Yeah, right. But like, the, it feels to me always like the rules are looser with Strontium Dog. Mm. And for Dreads, for some reason, there is something where it's like, he's fighting the devil. And like, he rests the devil really i i feel it sounds strange but like that's somehow outside my personal dread head well if it makes you feel better if you if you read the story i think that they it is it's it's a it and it, this may be part of why you feel uncomfortable with it but it is beat the devil is a folk tale and they make it a point to have the folk telling it be shown in the beginning. It's a, it's a story that the prisoners are telling about the prison. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Whole... Yeah. Yes. So, I get, yes. I get that. Yeah. And so by the end, the whole idea, cause part, part of what it is has the, what I like is, is that the story ends up like, and that's why this prison smells so bad is like in block 666 there is the you know the the terrible smell you know it's like i don't know who's inside but he smells like he died and and it's i don't know how to describe it like at that point it everything about it and admittedly it's got the distancing frame of being in this weird prose poetry type thing like i I oh no! Think... It, it it like everything about it reads apocryphal. Yes, exactly. No, this... like they they are doing as much as they can, short of saying this isn't real. Right. 
Yeah, and I think it's I actually, get that, but, right. but nonetheless, it still seems too much <laughs> for me. Like, it really does. It really stupidly feels too much. <laughs> like, it's funny that the, you know, Dread is, Dread go, is, faces a trial where the judge is Cal and all, all the witnesses are the people he's killed. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that story, but I love that story almost as much as anything because they actually make pains in the story of saying it's not real. Yes. Like, it's a psychic attack from an alien. Right. And in my brain, I'm like, okay, but that's fine. I accept that. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. As opposed to this with sort of a looser, more... Yeah, where this where it's kind of like, you know, oh, here's an urban myth about dreads, which I don't know. I, I want... It sounds really dumb, but for me to like that story more, I think I want someone to be like... This really is made up in the story. <laughs> oh, Graham! Uh, well, that's so funny. It's that's so dumb. Really, that that I I I understand. I understand. I really do. And I mean, that's I'm uh, uh, I, I want to tease you about it, but but frankly, it makes a lot of sense to me. At the same time, I do get that. Um, you know, it's funny because weirdly the story that's really early on, like the third or fourth story that's credit, it's credited to William Nilly and the art robot is the subliminal kid. I love kid. William Nilly and I love that William Nilly, it makes it into the official credits and part of me is like, did no one work out the joke? Uh, well, that it's willy nilly, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But, but like he's sh- like the credit fixes subliminal kids. Subliminal Kid is listed in the story as the artist. Mm-hmm. And on the credits page of the collection, it goes, Brendan McCarthy. Because, right. of course, it's not, quote-unquote, Subliminal Kid. Yes. But William Nilly makes it through completely fine. No. They list him as a story and a writer in the back? Yes. Oh, yes. that's just someone having fun, though. That's got to be. I, I, think they didn't, I think they didn't realize. Are I you... genuinely do. Wait, wait, wait. Are you, wait, are, are you looking at a different yes. writer's page? I see Malcolm Shaw, Steve Moore, Alan Grant, and John Wagner. What am I missing? Purple People Breeder is your script, William Nilly. Oh, you mean at the contents in the front? Yes. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. That is insane. That is insane that they list it there. I think they were just having fun. I guess? I don't know. I mean, they, they put Dr. Panic as script unknown, so you would think the Purple People Breeder, the purple, which is such an obscene name, but that strip, that was a strip where I was like, this isn't in continuity, is it? Because it just is so crazy. I mean, I... I... It's absolutely nuts. Yeah. Like, it genuinely is. Yeah. But I, I have a question. The, so the ones in, uh, for example, video phones, less so Whitey's brother, but like Dr. Panic especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ones from the first couple of annuals. Yeah, from like annual seventy eight, annual seventy nine, which were published in seventy seven and seventy eight, respectively, mm-hmm. are so off model. Yes, that they're kind of glorious in their own way. Yes, does yeah. that make sense? Like especially no. Doctor Panic. Yeah. Doctor Panic with Brett Ewan's and Brendan McCarthy art mm-hmm. feels like the comic about Judge Dredd that would be published in two thousand in, in Mega City One. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I love it. Like yeah. I genuinely think it's great. It's terrible. Like it's terrible, but it's great. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. No, I it it is funny how 
how weird those early stories are. Like, like I was really kind of like, I don't even think the stories from the first volume, the first case files were kind of this insanely off model. Like the fact that the first story, like, I don't know who wrote it, although it feels very Mills like is drawn by Kevin O'Neill trying to do draw in like, I guess a judge dread, you know, with whatever they were trying to establish is their, the art style then, but it's so un Kevin O'Neill. Like it's, yeah, it's amazing. And the first color strip in this book as well as Kevin O'Neill. Oh, oh, is it? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and again, doesn't look like O'Neill as we know him today at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's so, so unlike uh, O'Neill and feels like he's trying, it's like it's O'Neill channeling McMahon who's channeling Iscara. Right. Right, right, right. Well, although it's also because is that the Ryan's Revenge story? That is, right? Yes, yes, yes. Right. That one. And that's Kevin O'Neill. And again, it's that weird, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but like, you know, Ryan, like, the guy busts out with his, like, little gun and gets shot through a window by Dread. He's, he's like, they stole Doc Sampson's outfit from Marvel Comics for him, right? Isn't that yeah. his? I mean, yeah. like, it, yeah. I mean, more or less, he's lacking the the um, the lightning bolt, but yeah, otherwise, yes. Yeah, the lightning bolt, and it's not long green hair; it's short green hair. So there's just a weird element of like, yeah, what's even going on with that story? But you're right, God, I didn't even realize it was Kevin O'Neill because it was such a, yeah, it's kind of got his name typed in the corner, but it is. So atypical. It's so atypical. Um, it, it's kind of amazing, right? It's it's so strange seeing like artists we know today, yeah, as having very distinctive art styles, mm-hmm. um, not drawing in those art styles at all. And in, for example, McCarthy's case, I think it's because he hadn't developed his art style, mm-hmm. right? Right. Ewins as well is drawing in a style I would say is closer to Brian Talbot than Ewins mm, mm-hmm. uh, in these stories. But again, I think he just hadn't developed what we think of as the Brett Ewins style. Right. O'Neill, though, I think O'Neill genuinely might have been trying to work in someone else's style. I think so, because this seems around the time that, you know, Nemesis the Warlock, which is very, very much in O'Neill, like identifiable as O'Neill. Like the the lineage from there to his current style is very very clear, is got to be somewhere really close to this in, t- right. in time. Right, it has right? to be. And also, there's there's. Let's see, I'm looking up when Nemesis first appeared now. Eighty, yeah. yeah. So it's it's essentially like the next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. and, and it's and his art style is so very 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 present mm-hmm. when he's drawing like Terror Tube. Right, you know, yeah. For example, Captain Clep is a, a short comedy strip he was doing, mm-hmm. and that was seventy nine, the same year that the color story was drawn, and he had his quote unquote like Kevin O'Neill style then. Yeah. yeah. So I think he is purposely trying to draw unlike himself. Yeah, very much in uh, a sort of house and, and, style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it works? Question mark. Yeah, exactly. It's the strangest thing. It's it's the value of this book, for want of a better way of putting it. Is almost all visual, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. It really is. I, I mean, almost by design, throwaway in terms of story, mm-hmm. because they aren't appearing in the regular book, you know. Right, right. Um, well, except, except again, maybe because there's no um, 
there's no continuity, there is there is a way in which I sort of feel like for whatever reason, maybe because because it's such a longer stories and concentrated dose, like there's a lot of um I don't know. Again, I just I, I, I this was the volume where I was like, yeah, if you ever need to make a quick short list of the the Wagner and Grant sort of tropes that you see in Judge Dredd, like that this this kind of is it, you know, like I really yeah. feel like there's so much of that that's here, whether it, but weirdly enough, it just doesn't seem to have the same impact in in most cases the throwaway Wagner and Grant story in the regular 2000 AD somehow seems stronger, at least in terms of the writing level of things than the throwaway Wagner and Grant story here. Here the art is better and there's more pages to give the artist more room to get crazy, I guess. But as a result, the stories don't even have the, I guess the inherent tension of, Here's, you know, of of taking an idea, developing it and wrapping it up in like five pages. Like there's just something where once you once you spend twice as much space in that, you're like, yeah, OK, it's fine, I guess. You know, like it's, it's, it's so strange. Yeah. It's, it's it, the disconnect is genuinely odd. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so, too. Well, and so. So since we're burning through this it's such a fast clip, can we can we can we shit talk John Byrne now or were we gonna wait? <laughs> I wasn't sure if we were gonna wait to wrap up with that, but was great as I was like, we're talking about the art. Maybe this is the time to talk about John Byrne and you're like, please can we shit talk John Byrne? Yeah. Um not John Byrne draws a chapter of this. John Byrne draws the story from the nineteen eighty three special, Block Out of the Crater Bowl. And if ever there was a story that existed to prove that Byrne uh, was overrated even in 1980, Andal is also is not up to the level of the artists in 2018. It's this. It's amazing, isn't it? It's really fascinating because you and I both have um, a lot of fondness for burn and especially burn really close to this era this is you know this is him sort of arguably literally in between the cusp between x-men and superman i don't i don't remember if that's how it works out timing wise but you know that this is this is the john burn that's that's you're, this is way earlier and um, oh. this is burn around fantastic four time because superman's 86 so it's oh. three years Okay, it's three years earlier. But still, for me, that's like burn. Maybe that makes sense. It's, you know, it's post Uncanny X-Men burn, you know, which was my era of like considering I was yeah. loving that guy from Iron Fist on. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is like going to be great. And ah, he really does. He suffers in comparison to every other artist in this book. Like it's fascinating to me how poorly he does by comparison. And I'm trying it, to figure actually, out why. Yeah. It's genuinely shocking. I have a couple of theories. Mm -hmm. One is I think Byrne is not an artist who works well in black and white. And his is one of the black and white stories in here. Right. And he leaves a lot of space that's just blank. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just it it doesn't look good. Like his his pages lack the balance that someone like an you know uh, an Ascara or a McMahon have, especially McMahon. McMahon's great with the spawning of blacks. Yes. So you know our level of expectation is higher. Mm-hmm. But also with all the best will in the world, this looks like a story that Burn rushed the shit through. Yeah. Right. You know, it's I don't know if it was one of those weird deals of I don't know. It's just it's strange to me. I spent a lot of time being like, okay, what did he do wrong? And I and and you know, how does this go wrong and why? What and I can't quite put my finger on it, although there's a list of things. You know, one thing that I think is interesting is is that Byrne um, being John Byrne, which is to say uh, there's sort of an overwhelming ability to take the material too seriously, even when he thinks that he's not, is the the sort of exaggerations to Dredd's costume that we're used to seeing by this point that you – see someone like McMahon or even Ascara being able to do so well. Like he turns that back. He keeps trying to make the judges outfits look functional. And that's, that's, that's his first mistake. I think his second mistake is he can't figure out how to draw. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Like usually when, when artists draw dread in among the other artists, you can figure out who dread is, you know? And that's the other thing for, for burn who weirdly is a dude who likes throwing elements of cartooning into his other work. There's such an attempt to draw dread quote unquote straight that he, he literally disappears on the page. Like, I'm like, Oh, I guess that's Dredd. Who's like punching that guy. You know what I mean? Like he just, it's the most generic dread possible, but weirdly enough, the thing that I think is, is strange um, is I think the British artists with dread are more comfortable with, I guess, cheating, cheating, in terms of cheating, like the way they the, that I feel I'm thinking that British artists can cheat is they will give you one incredibly luscious background. And then there's a lot of close up shots of people's faces. Super, super, super close. You know, like they always figure out what the strongest element in any panel or page is, I feel, and more or less play that up and will also more often than not shape the page around those design elements. Burn is telling a story in such a grid fashion, in such a square grid fashion where only once every once in a while you see him try and break out and do something different with the panel layouts. But you just realize like it is so flat compared to the level of, like, if you compare it to the Ascara story, you know, it's happening on line nine, which I said, admittedly, was one of my favorite stories in the volume. But look at how much closer Ascara gets to people's faces or 
how much there's like such every every page is strongly designed yes as like like what it shows how utterly mundane burns layouts are yes yeah like you said like burn mm -hmm. burn cannot match up to the the page design yeah that the other artists in this book are playing with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know he's he really is like he's much more married to like it's a grid comics are a grid yes absolutely you know, Absolutely. and so that's the way it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Something else that's a real problem is Dread can't, uh, Burn can't draw Dread coherently, consistently. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Like Dread's helmet actually changes shi- size and shape. Yes. Basically between panels, continually. Mm-hmm. Dread's mm-hmm. chin, again, Dread's yes. chin. Yeah, changes right? shape. Yeah. And, Which... and that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a disaster. Yeah. Like, genuinely a disaster well and i do think that he uh, uh perhaps unsur i don't know i don't know why but you and i have talked about there are times where i find the uh the ss symbols in dread's eye mask kind of problematic but they but they are design elements you know and and burn cheats him he just sort of makes it like a kind of brushy gloss he doesn't keep a consistent shape to them. So he really does for a guy who supposedly was a fan of the character and wanted to draw dread. He really, I'm impressed at how badly he shits the bed with his story. You know, it, it is like genuinely impressively just missing the mark, but missing the mark on like every single level, yes. which is to say, mm-hmm. it's not just a bad dread story. Like burn was doing better work than this elsewhere. Well, that's what I at think. The time. Yeah, exactly. Where it was just like, like it's just, it's just on every level bad. It's funny. You've, you've, you remember, maybe you don't the story about Frank Miller drawing a cover for 2080. Mm, I don't think I right? heard it. Yeah. I remember it. What was it? Uh, uh, Frank Miller did a cover for 2080. I think it was like around 2000. It might have been for the, the 2000 uh, mm. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so bad enough model that they turned it down. Wow. Wow. Part of me is like, maybe they should have done that to burn. I, I think so. I mean, part of me is like, he was like the one of the biggest artists in the business. So part of me is kind of, and you know, I don't think that the story, like, you know, Wagner and Grant love their sports or crazy stories. I was impressed at how much this one seemed to have, like, I was kind of like, oh, this game kind of makes sense. Like, I was kind of like, as it went on, I'm like, oh, I kind of get the rules here. Like, oh, there's actual strategy, like, you know, and so to see all of that just be kind of shit like literally just kind of shit away by burn. It was, I mean, not that it's, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's no apocalypse war or anything like that. But I was like, yeah, this story works well enough as a story. Um, but it's impossible to feel that. Like yeah, it's impossible no, to exactly. enjoy that. No, it is the least enjoyable thing ever. It is just, it's, it's literally as if it was a story designed to show to showcase all of John Byrne's shortcomings. Like it, it really does. Like looking at this, I was like, "Wow!" There's so many times where Byrne is just busy for the sake of being busy, without any sense of the kind of flow that you see from the other artists in this volume. Like, you know, his crowd scenes don't even look like 
crowds. You know what I mean? Like in a weird way that the other volumes which have crowd scenes managed to dodge. Like it was kind of this like, is Byrne just so used to Terry Austin or an inker coming in and fixing his shit that... There, yeah, there is an element of that. Like, is Burn used to? I, I genuinely think that color is uh, is an issue. Like, are you looking at the digital version of this? Yes. The PDF. Mm-hmm. Um, so look at page two to three, uh... and page two to three has such clear blank spaces. Yes, absolutely. Right. That it only makes sense to me. If Dread was uh, Dread, I keep saying Dread instead of Burn. Burn <laughs> is completely thinking about well, the colorist will fill, pick up the slack. Yes, yeah. Like the background of the second and third panels, mm-hmm. it like there's so much white space there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 crazy. It's mm-hmm. genuinely crazy to me mm-hmm. that he didn't try and fill that in at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like you said. Maybe it maybe it is. It's absolutely designed to have color behind it. But uh and who knows, maybe because this is such a this is a black and white story after us seeing a lot of color in a row. Uh maybe it's more jarring. But honestly, trying to look at this with coloring, like a lot of it would still look, I think, really ugly and not great. Yeah, it just I was I was impressed at how badly Byrne dropped the ball. And for a guy who mm, has already, I think, suffered um, some serious drops in his reputation, like over the years and as people reappraise his work, this is this is really damning. I think it is. It's kind of weirdly shocking, isn't it? It really, it shocked me. It really did. I was kind of like, huh? Because this is this is quote unquote Burns Golden Era, right? Right. And and I I mean I just had bits and pieces where I'm like, it's it's one thing when Burn because I don't think Burn is entirely. Um, you know, you look at his time in Marvel, and he's he's not. He's not somebody that you would say is like, oh, he's a guy who'd be lost without Jack Kirby or, oh, he's a dude who like learned everything he knew from Neil Adams. Like I never really thought that about Byrne. But looking at this here, I'm like, I I really did have this thing of like he doesn't – it's almost like he – he literally doesn't know how to draw. You know what I mean? Like he just Mm -hmm. doesn't know what his – his influences like honestly if it had been um like burns like oh yeah 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 no i love dread i love british comics yeah 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 and it and it just turns out that that when they question him he just had gotten like um dread confused with like chips and whizzer or something like that <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just it's oddly it's it's oddly weird it it looks – it's a dread story that actually looks closer to being a misty story in some ways than it does to being a dread it's, story. There's just so much, like, misfire and so much that's just oddly weird. Like, the last page of it features yes. thoughts of dread, like, standing up being like, ha-ha, I am the law. Um, what a shitty just, dread drawing it, that is, right? It's, it's really, really bad. But, like, even beyond that, what a shitty drawing. Yeah. Like, what is with – 
the black background that's just blockly ends around the, the figure of dread yeah right yeah. no 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 it's just like what what happened there that's although that is also maybe the only drawing in the entire strip where i'm like maybe he does like dread because the size of Dredd's boots, this sounds like a joke, and it's not. The size of Dredd's boots makes me think that he's seen McMahon's work. No, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the weird part. That drawing, I thought, looked terrible. But but like you said, I'm like, oh, it seems like McMahon's boots. It seems like all of a sudden the design of Dredd's shoulder pads gets more traditionally Dredd. Like, I don't know. It's a weird – it's really – it's – yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, maybe it's... Dread is not necessarily the easiest character to draw. So, I mean, I guess we should give him some sort of something for that. But, yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. But, weirdly enough, that last page really does look like... It looks like pretty subpar fan art that might pop up on the letters page of 2000 AD. Not... Right? It does well. not look like one of the biggest comics artists in the industry at that moment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. A person that people ridiculously regularly said the name but had to append the phrase comic book legend to beforehand, you know? like, And then you look at that and it's just, who boy, who boy. Yeah, I don't know what was going on there, but... It was notice notable. I got to say the story after it kind of stunk too, but like nothing like Byrne managed to stink up the joint for uh, for this this story. It's it is it's impressive that like a Robin Smith story afterwards you're like, well, the art's not as bad as it was last time. Yeah, right. Yeah, completely. Because Robin Smith is pretty much the definition of an undynamic artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Completely. But at least he gets an on-model dread. <laughs> well, right, exactly. It, it's it's an on-model dread. I mean, that's it's a terrible story. It's staccato is another one of. Uh, is it's, it, it's another Wagner Grant, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It is. So part of me is kind of like even they were like, this is like a five-page story that you know it's not the oh this is a three-part you know prog. This really felt like a five-pager that they blew up into eight pages for some reason you know so yeah it's it's just it's kind of i mean the the why the the burn story is is just horrible it's horrible <laughs> graham but oh my god yeah yeah, yeah it's it's a, an impressively it, is it the worst story in the volume <laughs> like it's not the worst story story the writing's mm-hmm. fine but like it's almost unreadable. Like it's genuinely almost unreadable, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely, I, I continue to be dismayed by how how bad it is. You know, there's a little bit of a thing too where I feel, arguably, the story could be written a bit better, maybe because the whole. There's supposed to be a, a give and take of the story, right? We're cutting between the action on the field and Dredd doing his level best to essentially control the crowds. And, sure. And at the end, the riot that breaks out, you know, is that, you know, that that's the real quote unquote sport in a way. And um, I don't know if it's, Burn 
I mean, Byrne just drops the ball at every opportunity, but it does feel that there is a little bit of the, the story could benefit better from the idea of uh, the violence escalating, I guess, you know, and yeah. I, I don't really know if they, if they manage to have that, I guess they do because it's, you know, you've literally got, you know, uh, dread saying like, okay, break out the plows. And they're, they're literally pushing back people, you know, they're, they're literally shoving them back with bulldozers to prevent the riot, um, before but, they break but out again, the phone. That yeah. doesn't work because mm -hmm. Burton can't, doesn't get to show that scale. Yeah. Doesn't get to, Burton doesn't show that scale. No. He is unable to do so. Yes. Like he's also, because he refuses to draw backgrounds, mm -hmm. he doesn't really get that the two portions of the story are happening in different locales. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like right, it's, right. it's, Burton fails so completely mm -hmm. on a visual level mm -hmm. in this story mm -hmm. that, that he undersells everything and kind of makes the story unintelligible. Yes. Yeah. You know, like you have to, you have to pick context clues from the dialogue because Byrne does not do his job. Yeah. 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 Like I... it's, it's the, the, the other stories in the book are bad. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not true. Some of them are fine. Some of them are enjoyable. Right. Um, the air, you know, the early ones in the book, are very off model right but none of them are inept mm -hmm. yes and this one is yeah this one is a failure of craft yeah yeah which is which is a stunner it's a real stunner and how sad is it i mean you know there's that whole thing where there's a panel i guess since we're doing the references i guess it's page 221 where uh, there's the shootout at the OK Snackery, which is pretty funny. And then you get, you know, like one of the judges is pointing out a bunch of diehard Brechters laid in ambush. Beatty is sent in their city def. And you get a, what's supposed to be sort of an establishing shot of the inside of, you know, here's the inside of a mega city one snack food court in in a sports stadium right how much fun can you have with that and the answer if you're john byrne is none you can have yes. no fun with that because that and it's funny this in the show notes for this episode is just going to be us like reposting the entire burn story that's <laughs> like totally. wrong bad no but like, but like that you're right that establishing shot is an utter failure because First of all, it doesn't look like a food court mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. It looks like, you know, somewhere in the fucking negative zone. Yes. Yeah. But also, like, the rioting figures are so sketchy. Yes. Yeah. That, and so sketchy and so in the distance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. they could, they're essentially stick men doing nothing. They're yeah. stick men waving at each other. Yeah. They're stick men waving at one another in the most representative form taking place inside Galactus's spaceship where someone jammed a Bob's Texan Edna's and an okay snackery. Like there's maybe even a David's in the back. I'm like, what, what the fuck John Byrne? Like, like you said, maybe it, he 
I mean, it kind of feels like he didn't give a shit about it, but maybe it was also one of those things of he's like, wait, I've only got a week to do this. Like, I don't know, but it's really, it's just, it's just bad. It's amazing how bad it is. It's astonishingly how, again, this guy is, this guy is not a newcomer. This guy is one of, if not the most popular artists in the American comics industry at this point in time. Right. And he fails on every single level. Seriously, if I was like a regular Brit reader and this was my first exposure to North American comics was the art in this story and I had heard of John Byrne based on his reputation, I would have been like, that comics industry is junk. Which, you know, uh, maybe exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but but yeah, we're I mean, yeah, we're we're bad, but we're not as bad as this. Oof. And yeah, the, the number of ways uh, on every page mm-hmm. that there is a significant failure of craft. Yeah, yeah, completely. From Burton. Yeah. That honestly screws up the narrative mm-hmm. is, is just astonishing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, he makes – you literally – this should be this – I mean how long is it? It's maybe eight pages or something? It's a 14-pager. Right, isn't yeah. it? But like, you could literally take that story apart and be like, "Here is a different, here's a different mistake in each page. Here's a story study. To see what never to do." Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. This is this is the uh, how how not to draw comics the 2000 AD way. So yeah. Oof. Ah. Ugh. Uh well anyway so is there anything is there is there anywhere to go after discussing the nadir gram is there anything else you want to cover is there anything actually no there really is okay there really is which is the other nadir which is also maybe the greatest story in the entire volume <laughs> I'm talking about the story from the Dan Dare annual oh yes in which everything is so off model. That it feels like a parody of Judge Dredd that accidentally got put into this book. Wait, is okay. Maybe I've got the wrong story. Is that the story with all the other 2000 AD yes. characters? The the anniversary, the holiday party. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is just amazing. Weird. So everything in this volume is from a Judge Dredd annual, from a 2000 AD annual, or from a 2000 AD sci-fi special, which is the name for the summer specials. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Apart from this one story from a Dan Dare annual. Wow. That is – the plot is Judge Dredd wants to go home, but someone is in his apartment. And it turns out it's the cast of 2000 AD with Thark saying, Borak Thung, Judge, in return for the many awards you have won, I've decided to honor you with this little celebration. Yes. Yeah. And, and it just goes from there and ends with Judge Dredd throwing himself and everyone else in jail for a week. Yeah. Because someone complained about the noise. Right, right. It's astonishing. <laughs> Including, at one point, Tharg gives Judge Dredd a drink, saying it's from an old Thargian recipe, and Dredd goes, thanks, I need a strong drink. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> and no. then they're interrupted by the 2008 creator droids. Yes. Uh, one of whom is Pat Mills. Oh, well, right, Mills Robo Scripts Incorporated, Incorporated yeah. Um, and they are striking for not getting paid enough. Yes. And then they're beaten up by the characters. Yeah, that's the part where I was like, oh, this has gone a little too wrong. You know, like, this is a drunken romp 
that is the way that I imagine most drunken romps in the UK being, which is passive aggressive, you know, um, frustrations bubbling over to a faux comedic boiling point. You know, like it, it's totally like, oh, these guys want more money. Let's beat the shit out of them. And then they do. And I was kind of like, uh, you know, knowing, considering how much when you read, um, uh, you know, the, the books that the, what basically how angry and upset people like Mills and uh, Wagner were from being uh, promised a portion of the proceeds of their creations and then being told like, nope, no, can't do it. No, we sort of told you, but it doesn't, the, the numbers don't work out, you know, to, to seeing this where the characters are kind of like, yeah, let's, uh, you know, the whole thing of them actually wanting decent maintenance breaks, you know, is like, okay, well, we got to, we, you know, let's rush them and give them hell. It's, it's a weird story. It's a weird story. I gotta say, I felt uncomfortable about it. Yeah, you it's know? it's so like it's so strange on so many levels, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fact that it's so print is kind of amazing, right? Well, I guess so. I mean, it, in a way, it's the weird. I mean, it's not any different from a not brand Eck story right you know like isn't it just somehow meaner oh so much meaner and i think that's where i'm kind of like like meaner all around yeah 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 like meaner to the 2080 characters meaner to the creators yeah meaner to the company who are basically just being like oh fuck you like our our characters are worth more than you and to prove it they're going to beat you up yes right yeah. mm-hmm. like everything about it feels like it's it's done by and, and it's officially credited to script unknown, but it's probably Mills, given that the Mills is the, the named script robot, right? Mm. Uh, well, but, I mean it, maybe. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was an editor. I don't know. Well, yeah, because if you there's the police dude at the end who's uh oh Gosnell and isn't isn't it Kevin Ke- Gosnell? Kevin Gosnell, yeah. Yeah. Gosnell. So, and he, he did write for 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 uh for some stories in 2008. So maybe it is Calvin Gosnell. Yeah. It's kind of but what it, I think. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's just, it's, it is a, like a weirdly bad mood story. Yeah. Like it, I'm kind of, I, I love it. Like I genuinely yes. do. It's so weird and fucked up. Yeah. And yeah. And like gleefully off model for want of a better way of putting it. Oh, Definitely. Definitely. I have so many questions. I have so not least of which, why is it in a Dan Dare annual? Uh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like why is it Dan Dare annual? How much of Tharg celebrating Judge Dredd's awards wins mm-hmm. is like a weird passive aggressive swipe at someone or something? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there's there's so there's so much. Mm-hmm. There's so much. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm just. It's, but it's. And I've read the story a bunch. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure you every, have. Every single time I read it, I still can't quite believe it's real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, like it feels like. Uh, it feels like a bitter joke the creators did for themselves. Yes. About the company. Yeah. 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 No saw print. Yeah, like uh, kind of, kind of the bullshit that like Disney animation artists would like. 
draw and sketch in the margins to sort of make each other laugh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think somehow it's, it's there. Somehow it's saw print. And then amazingly enough, 2000 AD was like, yeah, let's, this can't be lost to the sands of time, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, let's just put this out there. And then again, it then shows up again in this collection. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind it's kind of amazing. And in many ways is one of my favorite stories in the book because of that. I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Cause it literally is, it's something that you'll never see anywhere else in a way, you know, and it is sort of, uh, in, I, I think in a way it does really sum up this annual very well in, in, I don't know, in that strange way of it's, this, you know, most of this stuff is quote unquote just for the kids or is a little bit of a sampler and introduction or greatest hits. But then you get something like that where it's just so, um, it's just mystifying, I guess, is, it is, is the best it, way. It's utterly confusing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just like, what, what, what actually happened? <laughs> yes. What What was the story here? Yeah, because exactly. it it makes no sense. It like was it literally a joke mm-hmm. that then you know showed up in the book because they had they had an empty slot. Exactly. Like someone totally canceled out on the last moment, and so the editor wrote this more or less as a semi gag strip, and and it. You know, and then somebody like drew it overnight while cranked out of their brain on Benzedrine. There, there's there's also something, and this is like the the smallest quote unquote mistake about this. Mm-hmm. But if it's published in the the Dandir annual 1980, mm-hmm. which means it was published in 79, mm-hmm. like in the story, Dread is the the Marshal of Luna one. Mm. And Dread hasn't been the Marshall Luna one for at least a year by that point in the strip. Mm. Mm-hmm. So is this like literally like is this a gag strip that's been hanging around for a year? Oh uh, God, that would be amazing. Yeah, maybe. I mean, oh God, who knows? Maybe it was like a I don't a Christmas card strip or I I I don't know, Graham. I got to tell you, it is it is some weird fucked up shit. That is my professional opinion. You're welcome. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's like what? But like, like it's 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 so odd. It's mm-hmm. so odd. Then it's just like well, okay. I mean, sure. <laughs> like, right. Like, like what is this? And because of like because of the what the fuckness. Mm-hmm. It's it genuinely stands out against every other strip in this book. Uh, but yeah. also weirdly sums up the book. See, that's it. It is a perfect summation. You wouldn't see it anywhere else. You wouldn't see it in any other... Like, it would be strange in any other context, I guess. But for whatever reason, it's one of the... this. You know, the restricted annuals, is uh, case files, because it's annuals, at this period of time, it's the only place you would see anything like that in color, I guess. You know, so it's are are honestly at all. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. You know, again, I'm still it still breaks my brain that someone was like, "Oh yeah, we got to throw this in the collection." 
Like I was like, you know, it was in Dan Dare. You could pretend it never happened, and that's that's just it. It's in Dan Dare. You could pretend it never happened, and also, it's like it really does feel like a parody as much as as anything else. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. does feel like an Brand X trip. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the yeah. fact that Dread's not wearing his Dread badge kind of makes it seem more so. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. So, so, you know, there's so many ways that they could just have skipped it, and no one would have cared. But no, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, yeah. That was that's kind of a stunner. Oh God, yeah. So apes, fatties, um, burn. Apes, fatties, um, Satan, Satan. <laughs> yes, Satan, John Byrne. Separate entry yeah, somehow, yeah. I and... know. I was going to say the fact that we're putting the two dead to each other is really just asking for trouble. And this surreal, surreal, like one shot. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so funny. This is. We were disappointed when Volume Eight of the Complete Fit Case Files. Yes, but this is the first collection that feels so much the lesser of the sum of its parts. Oh yeah, very much so. Very, you know, like very much this. So. This, it's, and it's not I, I said to you before we were recording properly like I read this book like four times this week right. and part of it is I would read it and then at some point I'd be like well like I've forgotten everything about this comic other than the art looks great yeah. like that's literally the only thing that stuck with me I need to read it again so I remember the stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and so I'd read it again and I'd be like I nope it's happened again I remember the McMahon's art <laughs> great. I remember that Boland's color is really good. You know, but fuck, you know, maybe there was a story about Nape in there. I can't remember. I should read it again. Right. And so I had to read it four times because it's utterly forgettable. Mm-hmm. But it's – this is just shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, this literally is a, for complete only book. Yeah, completely, completely. The, the I wish I could figure out the proper Graham McMillan way to phrase this, but it's – it's the I know that there's a way that you would put it perfectly, but it's like this this is a volume that has it all as long as your definition of all doesn't include anything good, you know, like it, it really there's there's kind of everything. The art is fabulous. Um, I mean, that's just it. If you're buying these books for the art and honestly, who can blame you when you have McMahon? I mean, honestly, just doing phenomenal work yeah. and also i should say mcmahon's color work in particular really feels like cam kennedy's color work mm. does, mm-hmm. does that make sense to you mm-hmm. like there's something mm-hmm. about the way that cam kennedy especially in like anyone who's read uh star wars dark empire right mm-hmm. and that's the sort of cam kennedy color yeah. like touchstone yeah there's something about the fact that kennedy never spots blacks he just uses deep blues yeah right and mcmahon's doing that in this book mm-hmm you know, like he does the same trick. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone who buys these books for the artwork, this is actually an essential purchase. Yeah, I think so. And and, and uh, Ian Gibson and Brian Ballenstrip, like are are great. Iskara, Iskara's water. And Iskara's color work is beautiful. Yeah, right, no. like really mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for that, sure, buy it. Great. Anyone who's following these for the story, yeah, you're literally missing almost nothing. Yeah. There's maybe, in all seriousness, 30 pages of this book I could recommend on a story point of view. Yeah, exactly. And it's a 320-odd page book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
it's very true. It's very true. I it it is it is a shame. Like there's, I mean, it, you know, I think in a there is a weird way. Like I said, part of me is still sort of like, but I do wonder as a sampler if you can come back here and be like. Oh, I like the Super Flea story. It's like, okay, then read volume seven of the case files. Or, oh, I really like the, you know, the, 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 the story where Judge Dredd is, is, you know, being, dealing with Judge Cal and it's mind, supernatural mind hijinks. It's like, okay, then read the Judge Child storyline in, in volume, probably also volume seven, because I'm not paying volume attention. Four. What's that? Four? Four. Yeah, four. Uh, you know, like, I, part of me is like, maybe that would work, but I but I just feel like it'd be far too likely that you just kind of pick this up and be kind of like, yeah, I don't think I like Judge Dredd, which is not, not the right reaction, you know? I don't know. Again, there's some stuff in here that I do think is pretty good that part of me is kind of like, maybe we're just inured to the charms of some of the stuff that is here because we've seen it done better in a more distilled form in all well, the case it, files. It is one of those things where you're like, is it just that we're used to, for want of a better way of putting it, high quality dread? Right, right, exactly. I mean, uh, I, I, what it, I don't think it is, as you say that right now. Mm -hmm. I think that by the time you get to the stuff, because I would say two-thirds of the book is quote-unquote fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's right? true. Like, there's a third that is outright just shit. Right, exactly. And, like, has its charms, but really is not good. Mm -hmm. You know? And there's two-thirds that are fine. Like, are, are okay Judge Dredd stories with amazing art. Yes, right. right but right, I think right. in the for in the context they first appeared of a, an annual, we're like these stories are maybe twelve pages of a seven to eight page package. Right. right. I think they do the job, and sure. I think they probably presented enough Judge Dreadness. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I remember reading those annuals, mm -hmm. and like it worked in that context. Right. You know. Right. Well, and that was actually my question. It was, I will be really curious, uh, not so much I, for you because you've covered it, but I will be that idea of like maybe some of these stories are some people's absolute favorite stories because they were their first exposure to Dread or the first time they fell in love with Dread. My, my first exposure to Dread is, is in this book. Which one is it? The um, the The second story in the book. Really, the, the hypno uh, tape thing, right? Like wow. that's I, I'm relatively convinced that's my fr the first red story I ever read. Um, because I had the I had that annual and had the next annual, mm -hmm. and I had them like from when I was young, young, young. Mm -hmm. Because someone had given them to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but someone had given them to me because I had those annuals and I remember having those annuals honestly as like a five-year-old. Oh, my God. To the point where like I'm fairly sure and someone who either has a great collection or someone who works at Rebellion will have to tell me. I'm fairly sure that both of those stories were originally presented in duotone. They weren't mm. black and white. Mm. There was a orange color in them. Mm. Interesting. Um, but like I remember those things, and I'm fairly sure 
that this story where the second story in the volume where someone is hypnotizing judges yes uh by calling them and basically like putting video mm-hmm. on, on their video phone that hypnotizes them um i'm fairly sure it's the first judge story i ever read oh my god ladies and gentlemen graham mcmillan is at five years old read his first judge dread story where I shit you not, the last line of dialogue in the story is Mr. Sansky is an unobtainable number now unless they have phones in hell. Like, Graham, yep. how did you not come out like the world's most emo metal dude of all time? I, I, Jeff, I have to tell you, either this annual or the following annual mm-hmm. um, had – uh, shackle in it as well oh shit holy shit like that stuff warped me and i read shackle like just like what five six years ago and i'm still yeah, Sha- shackle uh for people who are unfamiliar with 2080 <laughs> is the only and I, this is the tagline i knew of, you were going to go for it the you only bear on the cia death list <laughs> Shaco so much. Oh my god. Oh. Um, he's, he's a killer polar bear who is so deadly he's on the CIA death list, which is all you need to know about the strip. Oh like you god. literally need to know nothing else. Yeah. But yeah, it's I that was that was one of my first. And also so I I I dipped in and out of 2080 as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um and I read it like I read it when I was really young. And again, I was reading I must have been reading about five years old, the weekly. Because I remember reading the first appearance of Rogue Trooper, wow. which was in 1980 as well. So I would, I would have been five. Mm-hmm. Like I remember reading that in the prog. I remember very clearly having that issue and being completely obsessed with this blue guy on the cover. Yeah. And just reading over and over and over and over again. Um, but then I, I – I'm trying to think of a better way of putting this. I discovered American comics and I slipped away from 2008. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't. Because a secondhand bookstore in my hometown called Westwards had all of the, the annuals one day. Wow. For like 25 pence each or something. Oh my God. And I got the annual, I guess it must have been 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, and 86. Mm. I got on sitting. Wow. Um,. So even when I wasn't quote unquote reading 2080, mm-hmm. I had these annuals. So again, like these annuals were my connection to 2080 for a really long time. That's amazing. You are that kid, yeah. Well, and yet somehow I can, somehow I can. <laughs> like, but, but again, like in the context, they worked. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in the 2080 annual context, they worked. It's just that when you put them together in this collection, you're just really aware of how they're all mid-level dread stories. Right. Right. For the most part. Yeah, we have clearly answered the question: Would you, this be your first dread? Would you give this someone to to right. get into dread? And the answer like, is, yeah, definitely not. In fact, yeah, uh, don't don't buy this unless exactly. you're familiar with dread you, and yes, like art. Would yeah. you keep this away from from people who are curious about that? Um, <laughs> it's weird. It's it was it was so disappointing, mm-hmm. and it was so forgettable. I mean, genuinely forgettable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. I I talked before on on drug, and then I made this note, and then I made this note, and then I made this note, and I don't know about you, but my notes were like half the length for this. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But so much, I was just like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> really, like this, this, this kind of killed my mm-hmm. interest. Yeah, no, no. Like I said, I, I, the only thing that stuck was the apes, and burn was not good. And then, honestly, looking through it, I do have little bits and pieces where I'm like, oh yeah, you know. I'm being a little hard on this story or I'm being a little hard. Like that story is actually a little bit better for what it is, you know, um, just a few. But again, what it is, is not yeah. what it is, is all fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, that's it. I think there's no, um, and I think this is probably worth talking about in a way is one thing that really stands out is that there is an inherent sense of surprise in the weekly 2000 AD dread strip that you, that is, is super missing here. And it makes a huge difference, which is you have absolutely no idea when a one-off is going to end up being a crazy mega prog. You know, and for me, the the highlight of that was very much how they moved into the Apocalypse War, where it starts off being block war and the sub spy. And then the next thing you know, it just goes huge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that is really wonderful is Wagner and Grant play with the pacing like sometimes they'll get like when even the Judge Child story where they just get bored and end it soon like is is you know sort of vexing but entirely entirely to their um you know uh, benefit and and also speaks to their wisdom that they're like we're not into it but it also keeps giving you that feeling of you you're always you're you're never sure-footed with dread like every once in a while i think by the time we got to like part of the problem with volume eight for us was that it kind of felt like we'd seen it all before and there wasn't a lot of surprises and they're not, they weren't like, okay, we're going to swing big and go for a mega prog. In fact, it really feels like they're like, we're actively avoiding these super big storylines, but they keep cranking out the ideas and you're never sure what you're going to get. But the restricted case files, because these are all self-contained annual stories there's just no way that they're ever going to surprise in a way. You know, I, I think there's the, you read them and you're like, okay, there's no chance that this Brian Boland story is going to end up like at the end of it with the return of judge death or something. Like yeah. That, yeah. You know? I, I mean, that's kind of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's you, you mentioned Baxter building before and the, there was a point in the start of Fantastic Four where annuals were where big stories happened. Right. And then you hit, what, the mid-70s? Mm-hmm. And annuals start being throwaway stories. Mm-hmm. It starts being where things – you tell uh, a self-consciously big story, which isn't really big at all because it has to stand apart from the main series in case no one picks up the annual. Yeah, exactly. All of these stories feel like throwaway stories. Yeah, very much so. I think. And feel like everyone involved is approaching them as such. Even the artists. The artists are doing a great job, but it feels like they get to show off because, 
you know, they get paid more, but also really what's the, like, it doesn't matter. They can go wild. Uh, maybe. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny with the artists. I'm like, I, part of me is like, I don't know. Some of this stuff is, was pretty beautiful. And again, you know, because we had seen Escara still so comparatively, uh, on comparatively few dread stories by volume nine, like this is a surprisingly high amount of Escara in here. And of course, McMahon just really doing some, some beautiful work. And and honestly, again, I like things like it's happening on line nine or uh, shoot uh, the the other slab Tynan, which is a really fun, clever time travel story. Where it's like, oh, how are they going to solve this? Or even the super fleet, the, if they had popped up in one of the regular case file volumes, I'd be like, that's a pretty good story. Or Oh, that's an okay story, but it's good. I It wouldn't actually, I don't think I would mark it to its detriment. It's just weirdly here. I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's, some of it feels nothing new. Like, you know that story where um, they're smuggling the sugar, where it's the white powders being smuggled in, like some of the white stuff? Like, the story ends with... Um, Max Normal getting paid by Dread. And like the closing panel is him just counting his money, being like, oh, yeah, got to get paid, got to get paid, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, it kind of feels like that sums up so much of this. Yes, yes. You know? 100%. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, I guess it's a necessary evil at the time, but yeah, it is, it's, it's, um, I, both admire uh, 2000 AD and uh, Rebellion for reprinting these things in the restricted case files um, and heartily encourage them to rethink that approach. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just it. There's another three volumes of this, Jeff. Holy God, really? Oof. Yeah, well, because, I mean, the annuals and, and the the specials went on for Of course, years. they and go on forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Right. But it's just, it's so funny. Once you get past the everything is off model early days. Yeah. What you're left with is, well, these are fine Judge Dredd stories. Yeah. yeah. And so the appetite for continuing to read these mm -hmm. kind of dips, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. What, like you said, the, the stuff that's sort of gloriously wrong is at least kind of memorable. Uh and the other, the other stuff, but again, the other stuff's fine. It's just that when you're reading it, you just know it's never going to, to go anywhere. It's just not going to go anywhere more. Like there's, there's just such a weird lack of surprise there that makes, that makes sense given the context. But I think to me is worth underlining about how much that element of surprise is kind of dread secret weapon in in the regular 2080 in the progs. Yeah. You know, so you don't necessarily know what you're going to get or where it's going to go. And here, just by virtue of having that, it's enough to be like, like even the stuff that would normally be fine in a, would probably, I would probably rank higher in a different context. I'm kind of like, yeah, no, it's, it's not doing it much here. So it's, it's weird how much of that is contextual. And and 
how specific that context in a way is, I think. I want to say to Dread, but honestly, from to Dread and the other 2000 AD um, reoccurring regular characters and stuff. You know, that sort of some the fact that you're t- the stuff that you're talking about with Strontium Dog, like you said, they can go. There's just a there's a sense of freedom that comes from working that fast and 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 just being cranked out and the ability to to keep everything potentially kind of fresh. And it's funny how much by making something that's just that much one half step closer to being quote unquote regular product or, or something predictable literally mm-hmm. takes a mm-hmm. remarkable amount of the verve, the, 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 the enjoyment out of it. So, yeah, it's, it's so the strange thing is again, annuals should be special. Like that's kind of the, the mindset. Right. And yet everything about this feels like it's dread with the, the edges. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the the only feeling of anything being special is when they kind of fuck it up, where it's something that's weirdly off model, or that weird holiday story, or or it's John, it's just John Byrne showing us his ass. Oh man, Byrne! It's it's it is really amusing that the story we spent most time on in this entire volume is john burns just to complain about john Byrne. yeah it is kind of funny but on the other hand there's something genuinely amusing about that i think so and i do think that that probably is why you have to run the whole story in in the show notes (laughs) otherwise people will be like why did you spend so much time talking about it but i think if you ran it people would be like oh i get it wow wow i mean the sad thing is like i can't run the whole thing i mean i probably but i i I honestly feel like like i can't like that feels like i'm that feels a copyright risky yes like unfair almost to run the entire thing yeah yeah plus you know um, Take our words for it. I will probably put at least a couple of pages up. Yes. Um, just to share how bad it is. <laughs> if there's one thing we want you to take away from us, <laughs> it's that John Burns' chapter in this is so bad. So beyond, like, you think you know how bad it is based on our complaining. Yeah. And it's actually worse. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think if you looked at it, you would be like, oh, yeah, I get it. You'd have to be a pretty staunch burn defender to be like, no, no, no. It's a it's a good deliberate choice to break up a story with, like, a big epic, you know, sprawling scope of crowds into a bunch of teeny tiny constricted panels that nonetheless like shortchanged the drama. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, there, there's yeah, every I I can't I can't emphasize just how how many bad decisions <laughs> are, are contained in such a short um, such it's a true. small amount of space. Yeah, yeah. Like in every mm. yeah, everyone mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it's just horrible. <laughs> It's just horrible. It's great. We're back to talking about it again. It's another five minutes of us being like, boy, it's shit. Boy, yes. Yes. Let's sum this up. Yes. But people, you won't even believe it. Oh, God, no. Anyway, Graham, you've done such a good job guiding us through this volume. Anything else you wish to to revisit? Uh, I just wish to revisit again 
my sincere apologies for everyone who's read that. <laughs> That's unfair. Only slightly unfair, but it is unfair. Oof. That's that's all I'm saying. No, I think I honestly think we've kind of covered the bases that need to be covered. There is uh, okay, actually that's not true. My favorite story is the compulsory purpose, purchase one, as I said. The second, my f- second favorite story is the Big Bang Theory. My third favorite is honestly that astonishingly off-model than their annual story. Right. Uh, what's your favorite story? And then we will wrap up. Uh, I think my favorite story is. I think I'm still going to go with it's happening on line nine, uh, which I like a lot. Um, the second favorite is probably the Law of the Jungle, which is. Uh, ridiculously depressing end to the eight sub plot going on through here. Um, I like the art. I know there's one or two other stories that I think would actually, you know, I think stand out. I think compulsory purchase is a good one. There's an, there's one or two others that I feel like, Oh, that was a, that would have been good. Like I really would have liked it if I read it, you know, like I, I, I like the other slab tie in. I basically like the last third a lot, even though every once in a while things like the Halloween thing miss for me. But, uh, but yeah. So that's, um, I guess those are my faves out of there. Yeah, it's it's. This is an astonishingly underwhelming mm-hmm. volume, and really, a really disappointing one. Mm-hmm. It it's. The restricted files, by nature of its existence, is the stuff that is sort of ancillary mm-hmm. to to the, the main dread experience. Right. But this feels, I mean, just breathtakingly throwaway. Well, and it I, really does feel like the for completest only volume. Yeah, and and in that sense, I I am like I did make a point to kind of badmouth uh, the fact that they're reprinting some of this stuff, but. But the fact of the matter is I'm I'm really super glad that it was reprinted as its own series. Yeah, it's true. If, than... if this stuff if this stuff had appeared in the case files. Actually I'm not sure. If this stuff had appeared in the case files, maybe it would have been in the context of the time. Well and that's true. So yeah. bad, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But just yeah, it's 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 lesser material. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's bless it. They they try question mark i'm not sure how much they are trying right but it's it's lesser material and there are completists out there i'm glad i read it yes even though i don't particularly like it so mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. sense like an historical perspective it's worthwhile mm-hmm. but from uh an aesthetic perspective from a creative perspective despite the the amazing art i'm not sure that you can make a a, a, a creative defense of this book mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and that's it is what it is i guess you know well, it's yeah i i put it this way i'm very much looking forward to getting back to the main series absolutely the yes very very you very know, much like so. a, yeah. next time next talk we're going to be doing case files volume 10 mm-hmm. we're in 1985 to 1986 and things are going to be better than this I swear, even if it is a lesser volume of the case files, it will still be better than this. (laughs) So true, right? So true. Yeah. 
Yeah. This is where I will tell you that there's going to be show notes for this episode up at some point on Monday. And really, again, some point on Monday, we'll see, friends. Uh, <laughs> uh, at com. While you're waiting, you can check out waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. We have a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And Drock exists thanks to something we like to call Patreon. Jeff, would you like to say why we like to call it Patreon? Oh, yes. Uh, Patreon is, is a, it's a fascinating concept I'm, I'm like trying to bluff like it's something that we made up that's not gonna work let's just say that um to badly paraphrase tennessee williams graham and i have always relied on the kindness of strangers and never more so than now uh not only have uh we continued to do this because of the support and encouragement and kind words of the listeners who like you who listen to us and make it a point to, you know, tweet at us or throw a comment in the comments field. But there's also the extra level of uh, Patreon, which are patrons who what not to listen to us and throw a little bit of their hard earned dosh our way um, and continue to l- literally inspire us to do more. As Graham mentions, uh, Drock exists Absolutely, entirely, 100% because of the support that we get from patrons every month. And uh, I, you know, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm incredibly grateful for that because I don't think that I could have done something quite as daunting as and foolhardy as trying to read all of the Judge Dredd case files if it hadn't been for that level of support, encouragement, and uh, enticement so we're super thankful to everyone our listeners our patrons and especially empress audrey queen of the galaxy for her continuing support of this podcast as well as uh this neck of the uh celestial uh region i said neck i don't know why this arm this neck of the celestial arm maybe i've been looking I mean, neck at neck of the woods i that guess i guess that's what i'm going for neck of the celestial woods that sounds that almost sounds elegant when you put it like that uh and entirely unintentionally but again audrey everyone we thank you graham all i'm gonna say is this you talked about it being foolhardy <laughs> to do this has it ever felt more foolhardy in this episode oh this definitely was the um yeah it, it if if reading the judge dread case files is like the competitive eating of comic books this is the competitive eating with the with the gross food round so yeah this was definitely a new level for us i think i'm sorry everyone <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, we're going to be back. What? I, I, was, I was like, why, why, why are you apologizing to them? I, I, on the way we set it up, they should apologize to us. <laughs> I, I, don't look, someone needs to apologize. Uh, maybe it's John Byrne. Maybe John Byrne needs yes. to apologize. Oh my God. I should write him on the forum. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to be back with another drug uh, next month. And we're going to be back with a wait. What next week, Jeff? Uh, I think two weeks, if not, 
more question mark i don't know we'll see we're, okay we're going to be back with another drug next month and keep your eyes on weightwatchpodcast.com for the next weight Watch. there's reasons why the scheduling is a bit weird yes um including something that i'm going to tell jeff when we get off the recording that he's going to be as surprised as i was oh boy yeah jeff i'm leaving this to you and everyone else is just going to go what and all i'll say is this in december either you'll know what i'm talking about or if you don't, I will tell you. Because something <laughs> either could happen and it'll be obvious or it won't, in which case I'll tell you on the podcast. I'm just going to leave it like that really vague right now. Wow, that is super um, vague. Yeah, keep your eyes on the Twitter and on the website and we'll let you know when the next podcast is going to be. There's various moving parts right now. Yeah. It's really vague, but we will be back very soon with a drop next month. We will be back before then. 100% definitely yeah. with a wait what it's just unclear if it's two weeks or maybe three weeks yeah exactly we'll see yep yep yes Jeff, it's it's a drug you have to sing us out indeed so until next time uh drug you're under arrest citizen report to the iso cubes <laughs>